Um, but we've been on this journey with the book of Galatians, and we started off talking about the reality that the gospel um, is a gospel that rescues us and makes a difference. And the church in Galatia was what we call a prodigal church. It was a church that had become... Uh, drifted away from the fundamentals of salvation by faith and salvation by grace. And of course, Paul was frustrated with this, and Paul really wanted to encourage them to, to get back onto the program and understand. Because what had taken place was that uh, these Jewish teachers had come into the church in Galatia and was encouraging them to step back into Jewish tradition. So it suddenly became the gospel plus something else. And the truth is this, that when we have the gospel plus this plus this, it becomes no gospel. And when we have the gospel and the purity of it, and he was so concerned about this. Because it was an issue of the heart. And in the second sermon, we heard about the fact that, that he wanted their hearts not to be turned away from God. We spoke about Solomon and how he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. I said concubines, not porcupines. Um, 700 Wives And these wives turned his heart and seduced him away from Yahweh, away from the true God. And this is what's happening in Galatia, is that their hearts have been seduced away from the true God. And they were drifting away from God in this journey. It's important for us to remember that we need to guard our hearts and we must not allow our hearts to become divided in our journey with Christ. Then, of course, uh, Doug shared about that verse that, he, that Paul did not come to please men, but only to please God. And the very heart of Paul's message was because he met Jesus personally, he was motivated by what we call an audience of one. In other words, I give because I give to an audience of one. I worship because I worship to an audience of one. I serve and care for people because of an audience of one. And what, who is this audience of one? This audience of one is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live our lives not to please men, but we live our lives to please him. Within our lives. Then, of course, the section at the end of the chapter deals with Paul's great defense of who he is, his story, his life, about how he traveled on this journey. And the truth is this that our greatest defense for the faith that we have is our own personal story in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ has worked. Your story is important, your story makes a difference. When we're struggling to navigate our culture, I want to remind you to come back to your story when the day that you met the Lord Jesus Christ and he radically changed your life. Our stories make that difference. And then last week I shared about seeing grace. See, the gospel and Galatians is not just about grace, the free gift of God which we cannot earn. But it's about seeing grace. And the great Jewish council gathered around and they met with Paul to work out whether his message was in line with the message they believed was of the gospel. And Paul turned up with Barnabas, Joseph. He turned up with Titus, the Greek convert, who would later become the Bishop of Crete. 
And as they stood there together, and as they worked this through, they saw, and Paul wrote these words in verse 9 of chapter 2. He said, they recognised grace in my life, in my message. How do we recognise grace? How do we recognise when grace is at work within a community? Well, the way that we recognise grace is at work in a community is because you see people giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you recognise grace. Because there was fruitfulness out of his ministry and churches were being planted and God was moving. And we must keep praying that the grace would be recognised in our own church community. That people keep giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're our mission church and our mission is to reach a lost world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're our mission. And the second area of grace is Titus. That he looked at Titus and saw that this young man, this pagan, this Greek, was a follower of Jesus. And that he was being discipled and was being mentored and was being used by God. And they were amazed at how God's grace was on the life of this young man who was being mentored by the Apostle Paul. And when I look at the pursuit students, and I look at the way that Jesse spoke, and I hear the stories, when you see students standing up devoting a year, this is a sign of God's grace because we are all about discipleship and we're all about raising up the next generation. What a lovely sight this band is. Children that have grown up through our children's ministry and individuals that have grown up in two or three generations of our church now leading us in worship. That is grace. The third area of grace is generosity. Generosity. That we become a giving people, we become a caring people, we become a people that are generous in our community. And of course Paul turned up with a bag of money as a result of Acts chapter 11 where Agapus had a prophetic word and said there's going to be a great event of famine across the Roman Empire and we need to support the church. And as I think about all of this, I'm reminded that on the 31st of October, the darkest year in the spiritual, darkest day in the spiritual calendar is the day when we all, when people turn their minds to ghosts and ghouls and terrible things. As a church, we want to shine like a city on a hill and we run a safe Fall Festival for our community. Last year we had a thousand people through this building on that evening for two hours. uh, 36 to 40 doors are decorated. We need volunteers and thank you for donating candy. We need 22,000 pieces of candy. Yes, we need 20,000 of pieces for the community. And we need the extra two for the pastors. So, please, volunteer. We need volunteers on this dark night. We need volunteers to pray. And I need you all to come and pray on Monday before this, on the last Monday of the month, so that we are watchmen on the wall and we pray over our city on the darkest night of the year and declare that for our city, Jesus Christ is Lord and darkness is pushed back by the powers and the prayers of the saints. And so I need you all at that prayer meeting. 
Because it's prayer that changes. There's never been a revival without a prayer meeting. So if you want revival, come to the prayer meeting. But remember the poor. This strange verse appears at the end of the text that we explored last week. And I wanted to share from this one verse for our study this morning and for the minutes that are remaining. And don't worry, I'll have you out by Monday morning. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. Bishop Longfield said, this verse just explodes from nowhere and we wonder where on earth it comes from. Because we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about grace. They've just had a great summit in Jerusalem. The, the minds of the early church have got together. We had Peter, the great apostle. We have John and James, the brother of Jesus, the half. And there they are together. And as they gather together, they are looking at the message of Paul. They're looking at the character of Paul. They're looking at the power of the gospel in the Gentile world. And they decide that yes, they can give their blessing to the apostle and to his ministry and they are united in the fellowship and they offer him the right hand of fellowship. And then Paul puts this verse. Then all they asked, so they accepted everything I was about, but all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Why is this verse here in the middle of this statement to remember the poor? There's a number of reasons. They've been talking about the gospel and now remember the poor. A number of points I want to make. The first thing is that when in the context of the gospel, when we look at the poor, we are reminded spiritually of our own poor, of our own poverty of our own brokenness, that spiritually we are reminded of how broken and how lost we were once and how we were wanderers, how we were spiritually poor, how we were vagabonds, how we were spiritual refugees that washed up on the shore of the gospel and the gospel gave us something so remarkable that when I look in the eyes of the poor, I'm reminded of my own spiritual self that I was once spiritually so poor and so abandoned and so homeless but one day the power of the gospel came into my life and Jesus appeared to me and suddenly I received the right of being becoming a son. I was once a slave, but now I am free. I received an inheritance of God's blessing from all things above, and God revealed his presence into my life. Now, many of us, we can forget very easily that we cannot save ourselves, and we are all broken, and we are poor. And so when we are faced with the reality of the poor, we are faced with the uniqueness of what God has already given us. And when we look at the poor, we're reminded that we're all poor, that we're all lost, that we're all broken, that we're all sinful. But we've been taken from our spiritual poverty and we've been given the gift of salvation. 
That you, as Galatians says, you're no longer a slave, but you are a son and an heir. As Ephesians says, that you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That as 1 Peter says, that you've been born into a living hope. As John 1, 12 says, that you have been born again into God's glorious family as sons and daughters. As Colossians says, you have been qualified and receive an inheritance that has come to you of the saints in light. That we understand that as Romans says, that we have fellowship, air with Christ within our lives. And that we have a new kingdom that we are part of, of the good pleasure of God. And that God is with us. So you're an heir. You've been given so much. So he says, remember the poor. And maybe the reason theologically is that you remember the poor because you remember how lost and how broken you were. And that you were once abandoned. You were once an orphan, you were once lost, now you're part of the kingdom, now you're part of the family, now you're part of the inheritance, now you're part of all that God has given you. But what does this mean next then? Of which I was eager to do. Because clearly, he's not just speaking about a spiritual state. Well, the truth of this is that when you have received the gospel of salvation and you have received all that I've just described to you in a few moments as you flew over many of the letters of the New Testament, you are reminded this, that because you are a saved, gospel-centered person, you and I become a generous people, a generous people, and we give to people, we love people, we love the broken and we love the poor, because what we have to give, we give out of our abundance that Christ has given us. Whether that's emotionally, whether that's support, whether that's physically, whether that's money, in whatever way, we remember the poor because we are a people who have been freed. We are a people that have been delivered. We are a people that have received faith. And therefore, all we become, because of the gospel message, we become generous, giving people that love this world. And it's a challenge. That I care for the poor because of what God has done within my life. And the gospel message drives us forward. Do you remember that moment? And you may say, well, I've got nothing to give. I'm, I'm, I, well, we are some of the richest of our generation, of all history. But often we feel like we do not have silver and we do not have gold. But in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, you remember that story when, when Peter and John are walking into the temple and the beggar reaches out and says, you know, have you any money? Do you have? And they turn to him and they say, silver and gold I do not have, but in I do not have to give you. I don't have too much to give you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Whatever we have to give the broken and the poor in the world, and we should be generous and charitable, because a Christian who is not charitable is a contradiction in terms. 
And if you haven't got resources to give, we have to remind ourselves that God calls us to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and whatever we have, the most precious gift we can give to the broken and poor of this world is the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ impacting their lives. And that when, when they are, whether physically or metaphorically, lame and unable to get off up the ground, the name of Jesus rises people up and causes them to dance and rejoice because of salvation coming into the world. And they ran into the temple. And I think Paul is, of course, aware of this. He's aware that we, have to, that we don't often have much to give, but what we do have to give is the hope of Jesus Christ that gets people off the ground and causes them to receive life and celebration and hope. Why, why should we focus on poor, on the poor? Well, first of all, we need to remind ourselves, dear friends, that Jesus became poor himself. He entered a world of poverty. He entered a world of pain. In a way that you and I, living in Canada, with all of our news and all of our possessions and all of our health care and all that's going on, you know, we've got a... We've got a, a uh, an election happening tomorrow and, and then Monday on the 21st and then on the 22nd is a really important date. It's my birthday. And, and I don't know, you know, which one's the most important. <laughs> hey, love. Uh, but but, but we, we understand, but it's hard for us to understand I mean, the ancient world, the average age of a healthy individual that was able to survive childbirth and live uh, old age was 35 years old. I mean, if you're going to do anything in the ancient world, you had to do it in your 20s. Alexander the Great ruled over his father's kingdom when he was 20. Many great rulers in their 20s, because by the time you were 35, you were in danger of dying of infection. And if you were poor, you were in danger of dying in your late teens, in your 20s, because of infection, because of no health care, because of the way that the world was, and that people were dying all around, and people were terrified about death. And Jesus was born into poor society and brought good news because he knew that the only way to change this world is to bring good news to the most vulnerable and the most poor in this world. We cannot escape the fact that Jesus, the Son of the living God, the third person of the Trinity, came into poverty and walked amongst the poor. We cannot escape the fact that Jesus pursued the poor. Jesus pursued them. He didn't pursue the rich. He didn't pursue the Romans. He didn't pursue 
the elite areas of society. He didn't even go to the big cities, apart from Jerusalem, where, you know, he went to the outskirts. But he didn't go to the great other centers he could have gone to and preached. He preached amongst the common people, amongst those that would have been died by the age of 30, amongst those that struggled, amongst those who were lepers, amongst those who were broken, amongst those that were poor. He pursued them. How do we know that he pursued them? Because in Luke chapter 4, he cracked open the scriptures and he read from Isaiah 61, his great manifesto. And what is his manifesto? For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim the freedom to the captive, to come and to bring deliverance to those. And so do we know that Jesus pursued the poor by proclaiming the good news and Jesus pursued the poor by promising a great reversal. He promised that things would change. He promised that a new kingdom would come. He promised that even through death there is life. He promised that even your life expectancy is in your late 20s, even if you survived and if you were wealthy, 40 was an old age, you became an elder. But he, he proclaimed that there'd be a great reversal because so many of the ancient world were poor, so many of them were oppressed, so many of them were lost, so many of them were dying, so many of them were broken, and yet Jesus came and promised them eternal life and freedom and deliverance, and that's why I love Jesus. Because he promised the most broken in society, and that hasn't changed. When you look at the birth of the Salvation Army, when the average age of, of people living in London or Birmingham was, was 35 years old, the Salvation Army preached relentlessly amongst those who were alcoholics, those that were impoverished. In the world of Dickens, where people were abused and used in the Industrial Revolution, great preachers came and they preached salvation and they preached hope because at the end of the day they knew that they had to get people over that line, that those that were lost could be found again. So we live as a church in this, that we must serve the poor and we must preach the truth. We know that we have to give physical gifts and support people and be charitable and we know that we have to give them the love of Jesus. But you might say, well, what can I do? What do I do with this verse? It is a challenge. Remember the poor. Well, first of all, if I can help you to remember the poor, is to focus on gratitude. The truth is this. When you live a thankful life full of gratitude, you become more generous in your heart. Because you're not looking at the gift, you're looking at the giver. And when you look at the giver, you become a heart of generosity. 
And I wonder in our own lives, in our own challenge, about how generous you are being. How thankful you are in life. How willing you are. How your life is willing to portray this. Because we can forget what is so important. And it is important to be grateful. It is important to have gratitude. The second area is we need to open our eyes to the plight of the poor. We need to ask the Lord to give us eyes to see. You see, when we speak of poor, for you it may mean different people in different ways. For you, to care for the poor may be a member of your family. It may be even be a child. It may be even a relative. It may be somebody you know who struggles. It may be a situation I, I was talking to uh, emailing backwards and forwards along this theme. And I was talking to the manager of the, of the women's shelter here in Kelowna. Women's shelter is a, is a beautiful work that happens in Kelowna for all of BC. And women come to this shelter. Nobody knows where this shelter, or they shouldn't know where it is. It is invisible to the community, but not invisible to those women that need help because of violence, because of abuse. And I wrote and said, what are, the most, what are the most wonderful ways that these women who are in danger, that come for safety to your house, what kind of things can, can Christian communities do to really encourage these families and these ladies and to bless them? And, and the email came back. She said, one of the most beautiful things you can do for these ladies and their children is, is, is actually buy them a Cineplex card so they can take their children to the cinema and, and have an evening out and do something in this way because we're caring for the mums and the children. A really simple next step. But so often we can walk through our own lives inexpensive, a simple step whereby it makes a big difference and sends a big message that actually there are people in the community that care about the poor of our community, of which I would include women who are fleeing domestic violence from all over British Columbia. And believe me, the injuries of women who experience domestic violence, their research is being done, shows are more devastating and as, as violent as professional athletes that experience brain trauma. We, f- we can forget this in our society. And so we have to say to ourselves, Lord, just open my eyes. See where I should be. You know, see where I should, should be and what I should do. Stuart has just returned from the Bahamas where, where the simple question is, you know, how can I help you? Uh, how can we talk? Can we be together where the devastating, just being present makes the biggest difference to caring for people who are in need? And the apostle says, I was eager 
to do what they asked me to do. I will remember the poor because Jesus was poor, because he pursued the poor, and he promised the great reversal of things in the coming age when the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns and puts all things right. Have you read Revelations? There's no more poverty. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. There is redemption and there is deliverance for the most broken in the world because the gospel liberates. And I say, Lord, open my eyes. And therefore, if I open my eyes, I open my life. That I'm willing to engage. I'm willing to connect in one way or another. The truth is, this congregation is glorious in this. I'm preaching to the converted. I know how generous you are. I know how much you give. I know how so many of you serve at MCC. How many of you serve at the Gospel Mission. How many of you have given and supported Metro Community. And how we've been involved in projects. And we only have to mention needs in our community. And we give out you know, hundreds and hundreds of diapers. And, and, and feed people here in our own Hope Centre. You can make a difference. And you do make a difference. But you say, let's open our lives. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. That's a good verse, isn't it? I don't have to invite my relatives. It's a, I've left them all in England. Um, or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although we support 200 orphanages, uh, 200 orphans in North India, there's a team right there. Although we support and sponsor children through organizations like Child of Mine, this is the poor and the crippled and the lame. We look in our community and say, Lord, who are my neighbours? Who is the person that you're asking me? Because I know that when I live under this spirit and heart, I will be blessed. Not that we do it for blessing, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What you do now affects the repayment at the day of resurrection. So what are you called to do? What difference are you called to make? Take the next step. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is the next step? What do you want me to do? Jesus, in pursuit of the poor, what step do I need to take? What do I need to do in my life? How do I take this verse forward? This is what I invite you to do. Live your heart with a with your life and your heart with a heart of generosity, thankfulness. And you will discover that you will become a more generous person. And by doing this, you remember that we have to say, Lord, open my eyes. You will show me areas where I need to give, where I need to share, where I need to love. And there's so many wonderful areas. 
I was uh, with Metro Community on Friday night. We celebrate recovery. And there were 50 people there in recovery. And not just from... Um, from substance abuse, but from emotional and, and just from life, and life damages us. But they were there, and I was talking about my own journey with a mother who died of alcoholism. Um, and I remember growing up as a child, and I'd never experienced poverty. One night we spent in a shelter because she was fleeing from her ex-husband who was violent. And I remember as a 12-year-old boy looking at the glow of the room from a little fire, uh, and my six-year-old brother was sound asleep. And as we were in that old, damp, converted police station built in the Victorian era, wondering where we would go next and where we would live next. But we were there, threatened and broken and in pain. And I shared with them this. You know, and yet there came a day in that state where Jesus Christ entered into that family and there Jesus Christ came and brought salvation to my life. And you know, there are so many people out there that are poor and broken. They haven't experienced poverty like, like when Jesus walked the earth. But there are so many people that are poor in heart, broken in spirit, and we say, Lord, Lord, where do I go next? What, is, what little difference can I make? Can we be known as a church that cares, a church that loves? And I know we are, because I look out and see what you do, and I know your stories, and I know where you choose to work, and what you choose to do, and the way God uses you. So let me pray. Father, we wrestle with verse 10 of Galatians 2 and we remind ourselves that we were once spiritually poor but we've been made spiritually rich. Help us out of our abundance to bless others. We don't have much, Lord, but what we do have, we give in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Open our eyes and show us the next step. Holy Spirit, whisper to us about people, situations, organizations, acts of service we can do, next steps we can take. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow you and know your love in our lives. And maybe right now, as I whisper a little amen, just remain for a moment your head bowed. You only get a heart of love for the broken in the world when you realize that you are broken spiritually and you need salvation. And Jesus came to save you. And this morning, I want to invite you to join the Jesus revolution. I want to invite you to join the Jesus kingdom and the Jesus movement. I know you've had it with church, and I know at times you doubt institutions, and we've all been there. But God loves his church. But you know this morning... 
you're not living for Jesus, you're not a Christian, but what you've heard this morning is, I get it. I want to be a Jesus follower. And if that's you this morning, I'm going to say a prayer. And this morning, you can have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've traveled a long way to get here. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. Maybe you got out of bed and you thought, I'm coming to Willow Park, I don't get this. You've come here for this moment because it's the moment where you have a choice to become a Jesus follower and to follow all that he represents. He will rescue you from your spiritual poverty and make you a son, a daughter. And you can walk out of here this morning changed. He rescued me and he rescued you. I prayed this prayer when I became a Christian. Adopt it and pray it to yourself, gently and softly in your mind. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I realize that I'm a sinner, that I am lost, that I am spiritually poor. Spiritually poor. And I am sorry for the way that I've lived. And as you gave yourself for me on the cross, I give myself to you. I choose to follow you. Come into my life. I make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your presence now. I follow you, Jesus. For a moment, if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but if that's you giving your life to Jesus, can I ask you to, to come and talk to us? To fill in a card? Or at the end, say, I want to talk to you, Pastor Phil. Because this morning, I want to be a Jesus follower. And at the end, I will stand at the front. And if that's you, just come and see me. And I will lead you to Jesus. And you can meet Christ this morning. So, Father, I pray that you will reach out to lives right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.